Uh, it's so good to be back. I was away for a couple weeks with family on vacation, and so I want to say thank you to all of the uh, people in our lay preaching college. Uh, great job preaching here at Emmanuel Anglican, and thank you for serving, uh, serving the people here, serving the congregation. Um, we're starting a new season and a new series at Emmanuel Anglican today. This, uh, the series is called Becoming a Multiplying Church, Becoming a Multiplying Church. Uh, and we're going to be, for the next five weeks, looking at what is the ministry of Jesus and how does he call his disciples to multiply it beyond themselves. So we're going to look at um, Jesus' commissioning this morning to his disciples after he rose from the dead in Luke, and then in Acts, how do they carry out the multiplication of Jesus' ministry? How do they carry that out? So we're going to be asking the question, how are we as Emmanuel Anglican Church called to multiply the ministry of Jesus? Because we're, we're called not only to receive his ministry, but to multiply it. This morning's sermon is called Three Gifts to Multiply, Three Gifts from Jesus to Multiply. Uh, some gifts are worth multiplying, aren't they? Not all gifts are worth multiplying. Some gifts are, are just not great at all. Um, some are just more gimmick than anything else. But not all, not all gifts are gimmicks. I'll give you an example. Uh, has anyone in walking the streets of Chicago ever passed one of those little free little libraries? The free little, do you know what I'm talking about? Free little libraries. There's this little, it like almost looks like a little birdhouse or a little dollhouse. And you walk up and you open the little plexiglass door and inside you just like take any book you want. There's no cameras to watch, you know what I mean, to like, to get you. Um, uh, you can just take, any, you don't have to put books in, but what happens is you're like, oh, some free books, I like one or two of these, and undoubtedly, uh, you've probably got books in your house that you want to get rid of, right? You've like read them, or you like didn't like it, or whatever, and like free up some shelving space, so like you can drop books in there too. And then one of the things that, that, uh, that's been happening uh, is that people get to know their neighbors more when there's a free little library on their block, that they actually, they go from anonymous to they, they have these conversations with their neighbors. And so what happens is like the free, guess what? The free little library ends up being this gift that's worth multiplying. And so no, of no organized uh, plan of anybody, the free little library started in Wisconsin. So thank you, Wisconsin. And then spread to Southern California. Now they're back here in the Midwest and Illinois and all over the place. Okay, some gifts are like that. Some gifts are worth multiplying because there's something so inherently good in them that you just can't help but, but pass them on beyond you to, to other people. And that is what it is like when Jesus Christ gives his gifts. They are worth multiplying. They are, they're, they're, they're of such value that we have to pass them on. And so we're gonna see what happens uh, in the lives of Jesus's first disciples when he gave them these gifts. Because what happened is when they received these three gifts, they went from confused, kind of, kind of happy, but also kind of afraid and just confused, to overflowing with joy and ready for mission. Overflowing with joy and ready for mission after they received these three gifts. These three gifts are available to the church today through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's important for us to identify what these are, and it is important for us to ask directly from the, that the Father would give us these three gifts of his son Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So I invite you now to turn to Luke 24. It's in your bulletins. It's in your Bibles as well. Luke 24, starting with verse 36. What is the healing, forgiving, powerful ministry of Jesus? Starts with his disciples and moves from there. The first gift to multiply from Jesus is the real presence of Jesus. The real presence of Jesus. Reading in verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. So here's what we have. We've got a lot of disciples. Uh, his, the few disciples that are left after his crucifixion, they're huddled up in a room in Jerusalem, and they are a crazy mix of traumatized and hopeful. They are talking about, they're, they're talking actually with two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus made their way into this huddle, that Jesus revealed himself to them in the breaking of bread, and then he like vanished, and they're like, whoa, we've got to find the disciples. So they found the disciples as they started talking to them in this room where everyone's like, oh my goodness, Jesus might be alive. He, he appeared to, to Cephas, and so there, but, but others saw him crucified. They're like, no, there's no way that that could have happened. They, they, were, they lived through the trauma of Jesus' crucifixion after hoping that he would be the true king of Israel. But then there's some reports saying that he's alive. And so they're debating and talking about Jesus. And right in the middle of the debate where they're talking about Jesus, he appears and says, peace to you. All right? So, so here we move from analyzing Jesus to encountering Jesus from analyzing Jesus, what's true about him, to actually encountering the real person of Jesus. And there is a big difference between analyzing Jesus and encountering Jesus. How do we know? Well, let's look at what Luke tells us. Verse 37. But they were startled, and they were frightened. They had, they had some anxiety here. So they had some anxiety about faith, some anxiety about Jesus. They're startled, and they're frightened. Okay, so they do not have clarity about what's going on here. This is Jesus. We kind of recognize him. We kind of don't. He's different. He just appeared. He didn't used to do that. Okay, so here's what he says. And he said to them, why are you so troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. It's like Jesus is saying, come on, guys. It's me. It's really, really me. Get out of your heads and come touch the actual body of Christ. He says, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Okay? So they start out, they're in their heads trying to analyze what's happening to Jesus. And even when he appears to them, they're like, bringing in categories that they had before this experience, like there's such a thing of ghosts it's like a disembodied spirit. Maybe that's him. And they're laying it on what Jesus is actually trying to bring with his real presence. And so he's like, no, you need to get out of your heads and into my presence. Because there's a world of difference between those two realities. Get out of your heads and into my presence. You need to touch my body, touch the, the nail-scarred hands, that this is I am incarnate. I'm a real person. And he is helping them see the three-dimensional reality of the gospel. Christ has died and Christ is risen. 
And they're starting to grapple with that, not just intellectually, but with their whole beings. What happens is that they begin to rejoice. In the real presence of Christ, we begin to rejoice. It's a joyful thing to be in the presence of the living Christ. Um, uh, So verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy, this is a wonderful phrase. They're, they're, They're joyful. It's like this is too good to be true. Is this really happening? Have you ever been surprised by a friend from out of town and they're like, you know, you open your door to your apartment, they're like, whoa, here, here they are, they surprise me. It's like, no, 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 is that really, really you? It takes, it, t- it takes you a second to realize, this is actually true. I wanna believe this, but, but I need to actually get my head around this. Is this really true? Yes, this is where they were at. Is this too good to be true? This is actually Jesus. They're disbelieving for joy and we're marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> and so they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I love how specific that is. Jesus is like, yeah, this is great. I'll have some broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. You know, in, in, in the gospel of Luke, eating is a time of salvation. Eating means the kingdom of God is breaking in. And here we have the disciples, they're, they're sharing their meal with Jesus, the real Jesus, not the idea of Jesus, not something about him, but the actual presence of Christ, the actual person of Christ. He's in their midst, and it's a joyful thing. Christ's presence brings joy to our souls, not just our ideas. He brings, uh, he brings joy to our life, joy that overflows. When Christ's presence is made known, our heads and our hearts are, are healed again. They're no longer separated because both truth and beauty come together around the presence of Christ. And this is a ministry that the Lord has given to Emmanuel Anglican Church as well. Have you encountered the real presence of Christ here at Emmanuel Anglican? This is a ministry for us to carry on. This is a ministry for us to multiply. In fact, one of the reasons that starting September 10th, we are adding a service, that we're multiplying our service is because we think it is absolutely important to give every opportunity for people to encounter the real presence of Christ around the table, around the word, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. This is so important to us that it is a ministry we don't wanna just be consuming, we don't wanna just be taking it in, we wanna be multiplying it because it is a true gift, it's worth multiplying. That is one of the reasons that we are multiplying our services. That's another reason that we're multiplying ministers and leaders. When we invest, when we as leaders of Emmanuel Anglican invest ourselves in new ministers, new, new, uh, new volunteers, uh, new leaders, we're saying the ministry of Jesus, the real presence of Jesus matters so much that, that we want to raise new people up to multiply his ministry, multiply his presence, okay? That's the first gift worth multiplying. The second gift that is worth multiplying is true teaching about Jesus, okay? So we don't just need his real presence, that's very important, but we also need true teaching about Jesus because true teaching about Jesus changes lives. It is so important for us to receive it. Verse 44 says this, and he, um, then he said to them, this is after showing his hands and his feet, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, this is so important. Don't miss it. Jesus now is taking the role of a loving rabbi, and he is opening their minds by opening the scriptures, and he is helping them process reality. Now, think about this. You're a disciple. You've lived through major trauma of the the person that you thought was the deliverer of the nation and the person that you had spent three years bonding with and following around, your leader was publicly shamed and crucified. And when he was crucified, so were all of your hopes. And in the process, you let him down. You betrayed him or you ran from him, okay? And then something else happened which is that on the third day, something crazy happened where his body can't be found. There's rumors that he's alive, and that's almost too, it is too good to be true. And you can't make sense of all of this. So what Jesus does is he opens the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and the Psalms. This is why we have children's ministry, by the way, okay? And the Psalms. And he's like, look, look, look. The king of Israel was also meant to be the suffering servant who died for Israel, suffered for Israel, who also was was predicted to rise again so that there would be forgiveness for the nations, not just for Israel. The king of Israel was also the suffering servant, and then he would rise again, and then that would mean repentance and forgiveness for all of the nations, and you are witnesses of these things, aren't you, Peter, James, and John? You have seen it. You were with me on the Mount of Transfiguration. You saw me heal people. Then you saw me die for their sins. Now look at the Old Testament with me, and let's see that this is true, that this was supposed to happen. He opened their minds by opening the scriptures and he taught them true things about himself from the Old Testament. This was so absolutely important. What happens after this, uh, this little teaching here? Do you know what happened? Jesus Christ, uh, when Jesus Christ um, was ascended to the Father's right hand, all of the people who heard that teaching, do you know what they did? They multiplied this ministry. They went out and they began to teach true things about Jesus from the Old Testament. Give you an example. On the day of Pentecost, after receiving the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up to a crowd of 3,000 plus. We don't know exactly how many were there. There's a lot of, there are a lot of uh, Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem huddled around Peter and speaking a lot of other languages, quite, quite frankly. And do you know what he did? He did the same thing that Jesus did. He opened up the Old Testament, and he preached from Joel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Psalm 16 and said, Jesus Christ is not only the king of Israel, he's also, he's also the one who died and suffered for Israel, and now he rose again as predicted in Psalm 16. You won't let my soul stay in Sheol, but you will uh, raise me up again. That was about Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? 3,000 people got saved from that sermon. 
One of those people who got saved most likely was a food service worker um, who was not in full-time ministry, but nevertheless, he was baptized, his sins were forgiven, and then he began to, to use his, his uh, he began to do food service on behalf of the church, and then, but he got arrested because he believed in Jesus, and so do you know what he said at his trial? They said, you're blaspheming, and you know what he said? <laughs> he, he opened up the Old Testament, and he preached that Jesus Christ is the true king of Israel, who is also the suffering servant, who, who is risen again. And, and guess what? You all need to repent. And he preached that message from, let's see here, Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, 1 Kings, Isaiah, and Psalms. And do you know who was listening to that sermon? The, the sermon on trial, as it were? Saul. Soon to be Paul, author of Romans and the 1 Corinthians and many other books. He was forgiven. And then he preached the message of Jesus. And it led to repentance and forgiveness of sins. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. This is a ministry that cannot stay shut up inside the church. It must be multiplied inside and beyond the church because it has power for everyone to know the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the nations. This past week, I heard from a missionary friend who uh, goes to the persecuted church all over the world. He's always training pastors, raise, you know, raising them up, teaching them, training them. And uh, he shared a story. He said that in Tanz- he's in Tanzania now. And he said, there's a region in Tanzania, there were seven different warring factions of, uh, of tribes that were killing each other. And the cops and the authorities in Tanzania, they were doing everything they could to stop the killing, stop the killing. It wouldn't stop in Tanzania until there was a uh, uh, kind of a, a broad, there's no, no dominant, there's this uh, ministry called um, uh, Here's Hope Ministries or something like that. I forget the actual name, but it's a Tanzania ministry cross-denomination that shows the Jesus film all over Tanzania. They showed the Jesus film to all seven of these tribes, and do you know what happened? When they heard true teaching about Jesus, they confessed their sins, they were forgiven of their sins, and then they forgave each other of their sins, and the killing stopped. And all of a sudden, what the, what the authorities couldn't do, what the police couldn't stop doing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true teaching about Jesus, was able to heal Those seven tribes don't fight anymore. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you believe that? Believe it, because it's true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. You know what we're gonna do this fall? We're gonna open up the book of Exodus, Exodus 1 through 17, new series called Encountering God in a Disenchanted Age. And we're gonna go through all these chapters, and we're gonna see how all of them point to Jesus Christ. So come hungry to learn about Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. And, but don't just come to learn. Maybe there will be something that you can take from the teachings and you can pass on to others that you know because guess what? The ministry of Jesus, the true teaching about him is not meant to just stay here. It's worthy of multiplication. Learn to share your faith for the forgiveness of sins so that others can know what it is like to be in right relationship with God and each other. All right, so the first gift, Christ's real presence. Jesus' real presence Second gift worthy of multiplication is true teaching about Jesus. The third gift worthy of multiplication is working power from Jesus. Working power from Jesus. Let's look at verse 49. Um, Verse 49 says this, Jesus says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. The promise of, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, which was given to him at his baptism 
he's going to give the Holy Spirit to them at Pentecost. So he says, wait for, I'm going to clothe you with power, the power of the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then sometime later, verse 50, after, after, this is after several weeks, verse 50, then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He's ble- this is a, it's weeks and weeks of retreat with the risen Christ, and he is blessing them. And verse 51 underscores how intense this blessing was. Verse 51, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Even as Jesus is being exalted to the Father's right hand, he's saying, my blessing is upon you. My blessing is upon you. My blessing is upon you. Soon you will have my Holy Spirit. I've got to ascend first for that to happen. But you have everything you need to carry on my ministry. You have everything you need for your own healing. You have everything you need. I'm giving you my blessing to multiply my ministry. So one of the things that uh, I noticed in junior high was that um, uh, people who really loved Michael Jordan, and I don't know if you even know him anymore, uh, but um, what they would do is if they, if they were a really big fan of Michael Jordan, they would buy his jersey or they would buy his gear. Um, and, and their hope was that was that they could go from watching Michael Jordan do amazing things to actually joining Michael Jordan, as it were, on the local field and do amazing things in his jersey. And they wanted to be clothed with the, the, the power of Michael Jordan, as it were. They wanted to go from, from just watching him to joining him. Now, as crazy as it sounds, when Jesus Christ gives his Holy Spirit, he's not just giving his Holy Spirit so that we can we can watch Jesus do his ministry more effectively, but that I, we can actually join him, whether we're inside the church or we're outside the church in our vocations or we're, we're, at, you know, we're at a coffee shop, we're in our apartment, wherever we are, we are clothed with the Holy Spirit and we have power and authority to work on Jesus' behalf to do what he is doing. And unlike Michael Jordan's jersey, this one actually works. There was a, a member of our community who was, uh, who was at his job, feeling a little grumpy. Ever been in that place? Uh, it was like, my boss, things like that. And, and guess what? He was working. He was not in the best of moods. Um, but then he encountered someone who shared with him, um, you know, I've been, I've been hearing voices. And can you help me? And, and, and I, I'm, t- I'm trying to learn how to pray. And, and this member of Emmanuel Anglican was like, well, yeah, I, he prayed over this this uh, young college student, and then, um, and she was like, how do you pray? And he's like, well, here's, here's one of the ways that I've learned how to pray, and you can actually write your prayer out. And, and she came back to him, and she's like, I did what you said, and it was, it was I've never spent more time praying than, than after you prayed for me and after you taught me how to pray to Jesus. Now listen, he was working in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't feeling super spiritual. Maybe he didn't feel like, like he was some spiritual giant, but he was just operating in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had given him. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's a gift that not only do you keep for yourself, but it actually, it's working power. It's power that, 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 um, that is active as you follow Jesus in wherever, whatever field he sends you, inside or outside the church. This is going to happen at Emmanuel Anglican within the work of the people. The work, the work of the people is empowered by the Holy Spirit and as some of you step up to, to lead and to teach, we're starting new ministries this fall. 
in accordance with our two services, as some of you step up, you will receive power that you did not have because Jesus has given you his Holy Spirit. This is also active at your jobs. We believe that all vocations um, are, are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that your actual work is important, whether you're studying, whether you're working, whether you like your job or don't like your job, your vocations are important. Your relationship with your neighbors are important. Jesus wants to carry out his ministry through you, and he has given all of us his Holy Spirit to multiply. So I want to invite up someone who has experienced these three gifts from Jesus here at Emmanuel Anglican. He's going to share a little bit of his testimony. Come on up, Brian Hinkle, and tell us about what the Lord has done in your life. Good morning, everyone. So I was raised in a Christian household. Uh, We went to church regularly. My mom tells me that at the age of four, um, when she was telling me about God and Jesus' salvation, that I accepted him as my savior. And I don't have a memory of that, but I trusted her. And as I grew up, I thought of myself as a Christian. But especially as I came into early adulthood, uh, nothing about my life looked in any respect Christian. Um, I rarely prayed, almost never read the Bible, and I wasn't baptized, didn't pursue baptism or confirmation or membership or any other mark of growing deeper in my relationship with Christ or joining the church. Um, It all felt hollow, like I had never really accepted it. And as my friends at youth group were looking to North Park or Moody or... Um, Wheaton or other schools that were Christian, I never considered it because I knew the application would have asked what my testimony was and I wouldn't have had much to say. So instead, I chose to go to the University of Chicago, which um, if it had a statement of faith would be critical inquiry. (laughs) Not a friendly place to go uh, for somebody who professes faith of any kind, um, especially Christian. So I Went there, and um, I never really connected with the church either. Um, Attendance didn't last much longer than my first year, and I never really got involved with IVCF or crew or any other ministry on campus, and none of my close friends were believers. And so I was going to college, and what I didn't realize was a fairly fragile state and did nothing to shore it up. My faith was on life support until... I was on a beach in Indiana with some friends, and one of those ministers who walks around giving tracts to people came up to us and um, told us why we should believe in Jesus. And it felt it felt so so insipid and so small coming from him, and I couldn't bring myself to believe that. So that night, I turned my back on God, and I never really became atheist, but probably. Agnosticism would be the best description. And so began a number of fairly dark years. Um, I, with nothing to order my life around, I grew bitter and angry. And as I graduated, my friends graduated as well, and almost none of them stuck around in Chicago, and the few who did moved shortly thereafter. And without a community, I didn't have new friends. So I grew increasingly alone and with work as the only thing that gave my life some purpose. I became career obsessed and increasingly empty and managed to persist through the years until 
um, the winter of 2014, something inside me just snapped and I couldn't deny how empty my life was and the dark cloud descended and I experienced depression fairly deeply and struggled to just get along from day to day. Um, at the same time, while I was looking for some reason to get up, I started opening my Bible and reading for the first time in years and ended up in 1 Corinthians, and I felt the sting of Paul's rebuke to believers who had turned away from following Jesus, but I also felt the excitement of living for something, living for anything. So my imagination was piqued by that even as depression grew worse and one night, it wasn't just the usual self-hatred or sadness that was tormenting me. It was different. I felt a dark presence suffocating me. I felt like I had nowhere else to go. There was nothing left for me to do. And in sheer desperation, somehow I learned a prayer that I prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the presence was lifted. And I fell asleep in peace. And I knew that God answers prayer and I had to go back to church. And so I, one of my good friends from college um, was introduced to the Anglican way. And he had gotten married to the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. And that had <laughs> should tell you something about my friends. Uh, so that... The liturgy, which I had never experienced growing up, had really struck me with its beauty and uh, space for contemplation. And I looked for an Anglican church nearby, and it turned out there was one in Uptown that had just recently started. So um, I came here in the spring of 2014, a thoroughly broken man, and experienced the light and life of Jesus Christ from the moment I first walked in here. It was so different from any other liturgical church I had been to because when people confessed the creeds and when they prayed, they believed it. It was so evident, the joy and the passion in the worship here. And I was hooked. I never stopped coming. Um, I grew to get to know people here. And Father Aaron started a men's group in fall of 2014 when I finally took the risk of telling other Christians what I really thought and what I had actually been through and didn't just pay lip service to the idea of faith and fully expecting to be treated like I was irreparably broken. I was instead given incredible grace and forgiveness and love that was unconditional. And as we prayed together and as we read scripture together, my own prayer life um, came back and I began to pray not out of a sense of duty or desperation, but out of joy and out of a desire to grow closer to the presence of God. And along with my parents, uh, the men's group presented me here at Emmanuel to be baptized on All Saints Sunday in 2014, which marked uh, my true membership in the church for the first time, um, which I had finally grown to love as the body of Christ. And the past three years, well, not without some serious challenges, have been the best of my life. I've grown to know true community and true joy um, and fellowship 
and honesty and the presence of God in a way I'd never done before. And I've seen my own relationships with my family experience healing, and I've grown in friendships and deepened them in a way I didn't expect. And even into the challenges of um, Uptown, which I had always sort of been afraid of living in, I ended up growing to love enough that I moved here and grew to new people in the neighborhood and experiencing the love of Christ enough, not just to believe that I experienced it, but even to share it out of an overflow of it. And in all of these things, I've seen the presence of God here at Emmanuel, and Emmanuel has been part of my salvation in a way that I could never tease out or separate because it is the body of Christ, and you can't experience the love of God or the salvation of Jesus Christ without the church. And I have seen my own attitudes change from anger and anxiety to love and peace, and instead of being afraid of the future, I'm excited about it. And instead of being always in the back or always in the shadows, I've been drawn into leadership. And without God's work, none of this would have happened. I know what sort of life I make for myself or what sort of salvation or work I would pursue. And it's nothing like God has promised me and nothing like he's delivered. And to him is the glory for all of these things. Let his name be glorified. can't think of a better way to end after hearing what the Lord has done in our brother's life than by, by reading the last two verses, verses 52 and 53. What happens when Jesus' gifts have been given in full to his disciples? Before they did any kind of work, they did the work of worship. And they uh, reading verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let us for the rest of this worship service and the rest of this month and beyond, out of great joy after seeing what the Lord has done, worship him with all of our hearts. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.